Welcome to the Unfiltered with Kara podcast. I created this podcast for one reason and one reason only. I want to help you live your best life while you journey out here as a human for an average of 28,000 days. Tune in for conversations, inspiration, tips and tricks for freeing yourself from the bullshit that weighs you down so you can create a full and happy life, a life that is worthy of you. Hey guys, welcome to this week's episode of the Unfiltered with Kara podcast. Thank you for tuning in. As always, I really appreciate your listening, especially when I'm bringing you bomb guests like Mr. Chuck Garcia. Look, Chuck to me is, you know, we've been friends for a few years now. He's a mentor. He's an inspiration. He's coached me. Um, I've worked very closely with Chuck on a project that um, you'll hear about in the interview. Uh, I mean, uh, all around awesome, awesome, awesome human. Um, He is the founder of Climb Leadership International and coaches executives on leadership development, public speaking, and emotional intelligence. He is an Amazon best-selling author, professional speaker, talk radio host of a climb to the top, which is stories of transformation. Again, we'll talk about that some more in the interview and you'll get, you know, how I ended up playing a part in, 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 Chuck's world and vision. Um, he teaches leadership communication at Columbia University's Graduate School of Engineer of Engineering. Excuse me. He is also a mountaineer and has climbed some of the world's tallest peaks, including Mount Kilimanjaro, Mount Elbrus, the Matterhorn, Matterhorn, Matterhorn. My Haitianness just came right out, as well as mountains in Alaska and the Andes. Chuck is just a cool dude. You'll get to see what I'm talking about through this interview. Take a listen. Welcome, 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 Chuck, to the Unfiltered with Kara podcast. Thank you for granting me this interview. Thank you for um, giving us your time. You're a super bad all day long man that I admire, that I look up to. I've loved working with you. Um, You've helped me so much over the years with really discovering my voice, um, understanding how to put my story together. There's so much value in this man. So (laughs) I'm humbled. Don't be so damn humble, right? (laughs) Hey, I, I, um, I am honored to be on this side of the microphone in the service and the continuing service of your happiness, because working with you has just been just an incredible pleasure. And I think you and I together, all of us is better than any one of us. You and I, I think embody that. Yeah, no, we've created so much magic together, you know, over time. And I I can't wait for all the other stuff we'll be doing together, um, including this. And so tell our audience who you are, um, your story, your story is extremely interesting from where you you were and where you are today and what you're up to right now. Um, Tell us, give us, give us a lowdown on Chuck. Yeah. So to, to, to Kara's listening audience, thank you very much for tuning in. And Kara, it's an honor to be here. Thank you so, so much for having me. Uh, my name is Chuck Garcia. And when, when, I, when people ask me, what do I do? I, I, it's just one answer. I wake up every day and I go to work in the service of someone else's success. Simple statement. It took me a while to formulate that, but that's what I do. How I do it, and I do it in a variety of means. 
first, I think best to establish my pedigree that I'm a former Wall Streeter. I spent many, many years, over 25 plus years, most of my time under the tutelage of a guy named Mike Bloomberg. So if you've ever- Oh, because we don't know who Mike Bloomberg is. Right, well, (laughs) just in case somebody doesn't, he was a three-time mayor in New York, a presidential candidate and worth about $70 billion. But it's never about the money with him. I learned from him how, how to be a good businessman. And he is a great one, but he was, I I consider him a major mentor of mine. And I say that because when I got to the point where I was no longer, I didn't want to do Wall Street anymore, it was a strategic and intentional move. So what I do now, I'm an executive coach, mostly to financial institutions, because that's where I came from. And the reason I do that is I spent the majority of my career evolving and developing myself as a public spokesman. Thousands of people saw me do what I do. And because of that, I was able to leverage that when I decided I didn't want to do that anymore. Like a good athlete who becomes a coach, I very much followed that parallel path. In addition to that, uh, I'm a professor at Columbia. I teach in the Graduate School of Engineering. So I spend about 25% of my time in college teaching. I spend about 50% of my time as an executive coach helping people to get better at either communication skills or the development of their emotional intelligence. And then I'm also a host of a podcast called The Climb to the Top, which is based on my book called The Climb to the Top. How's that for a summary? (laughs) Fantastic. Fantastic. And um, that's that's the work you were doing that uh, brought us, our paths together when I met you at um, the uh, National Speakers, it was actually the Florida chapter of the National Speakers Association. And I remember when you were there talking about the climb and how, you know, when you speak and the climb and I was like, I really like this guy. (laughs) And then um, I remember I was the highest bidder on your time. Well, I remember that to, to to our audience, Um, As professional speakers, Carrie and I belong to this international organization called the NSA, not National Security (laughs) Administration, the (laughs) National Speakers Association. And I'm part of the New York chapter and often other chapters around the country will ask people from different locations, can you please come and speak to our chapter? And what I spoke about in Fort Lauderdale was how it is I built my professional speaking business. But what I really talked about is every one of us has a distinct and unique story. And in my case, I'm a mountaineer. I've climbed mountains all over the world. And when I wrote the book, A Climb to the Top, I used it very much for personal branding. This was intentional. I didn't, this was, this was not an accident. I, I really answered the question, how can I help the people who read my book understand the metaphor of mountaineering or mountaineering as a metaphor for career climbing, that they have a lot of things in common, the least of which is you can't mountain climb alone you can't career climb alone. So Kara was in the audience when I came to Fort Lauderdale and um, a couple years ago on some Saturday morning and there were dozens of people in the room, all speakers, and I was simply giving my point of view. And I noticed as I was speaking, there was this lovely lady in the back who was smiling, didn't hear her voice, didn't know her, but I suspected, I didn't know what I was saying, but whatever I was saying, I suspected I think it's landing. I'm not sure. It's resonating. (laughs) (laughs) And that was Kara. And it is fascinating to see Kara. You know, when I read your book, uh, I, there was a, there, there was a a bias of some things are the hand of God that, that we don't necessarily, or most of us, 
and, and you state very eloquent, we are not what sometimes things happen to us, sometimes things happen for us. And I use a very similar mindset where we are not what happens to us, we are what we choose to become. And I think what you and I represent from that meeting was very much the confluence of two mindsets that had never come together before. We didn't know each other. We come from different places, yet we had a shared bond as toward the why. Why do we do what we do? And when you and I met after that conference, it became pretty clear to me that we tend to gravitate toward people who, who have very similar values. And when you begin to speak, and you know, so say, Kara, tell me about yourself, your, your background, blah, blah, blah. And when you began to speak, it was clear you were not reciting a resume. You were speaking in, in, a, in a sense of virtues as toward what was important to you. That's the stuff that, that that's the magic. It, it, the resume list is boring and, and, and doesn't say who you are. You never spoke of that. And when you spoke of the virtues list, I said, holy my goodness, this is a kindred spirit right here in the same room. And when that happened, I said, we've got to find a way to collaborate. And certainly we did. But it was just a really wonderful God-given story, Kara, to have met you that way. And, and you know, the Lord works in mysterious ways that day. The Lord worked in a wonderful, mysterious way. Yeah, no, absolutely. And um, for me, it was the, the place where I was in my life connecting with you was the exact next piece. And it's, again, how, you know, if we really um, kind of just surrender to the process watching how the puzzle pieces come by themselves. Cause like you said, we kind of attract what we, you know, who we are, what we need, et cetera. And um, understanding that everything is kind of unraveling for your, in your favor and unraveling in a way that's going to take you to the next space in, in your, you know, and you're showing up in the world as you're supposed to. And so um, our connection has done that. And I remember having a conversation with you about speaking and, you know, you becoming maybe my speaker's coach. I never thought of, you know, us ending up doing, for example, our pilot together as being something that was even on the other side of connecting with you, but so much has come out. But before we go into that, I do want to talk about your 10 commandments, um, because your 10 commandments um, with your climb to the top book has really helped me, of course, in putting my story together in a more coherent, more um, pointed kind of way. But really, it's, it's also a story of life, right? It's the 10 commandments. You could really say it's the 10 commandments of life, right? And so can you talk to us about that? Because those who have not read your book, which I'm going to put in the show notes, uh, need to go read it, right? And they need to understand what that is, this climb to the top, this, this almost this life journey, this, it, it parallels any journey really to the top right? Because you'll have your leaps, your valleys, you'll have all of that. So can you talk about that? So you bet. It, well, it's funny you introduced it that way, because I remember when this was several years ago, I started teaching an undergraduate course on public speaking. And I didn't have a framework. I was simply teaching what I know. And I did it pretty much off the cuff because I'm, I'm it's just what I've been doing for years. But as I was 
teaching, what I was finding is what I'm lacking. And it was born out of sometimes out of the necessity of, I'm not, I have to leave them with something. Well, what am I leaving with? What I was talking about were the techniques of how we communicate with each other, one-to-one, how we communicate to small groups, and how we communicate to thousands of people. And I've spent a career doing all of them. And what I noticed is the techniques that we have when we are in an interactive mode with one person, I was finding I behaved in the exact same way when I stood on a stage in front of thousands of people. And I watched myself on videos and I, because I was trying to figure out what do I have here? And I said, oh my God, there's a certain technique. I wasn't even aware that I was doing it. It, it just, what I was doing, what felt naturally to me in the, whatever environment I was in, I was highly adaptable, but what never changed was the style by which I spoke and how I listened. So when I wrote the book, it was a no brainer to call it a climb to the top because I'd already been on several mountain expeditions. And it was when I was on one of the expeditions on Kilimanjaro, it hit me like a ton of bricks This thing that we just did when we climbed the mountain, and the goal was not to get to the top. The goal was to get home. The goal is is, 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 in mountaineering is never the summit. The goal is getting home to the people you love and the people who love you. And as I was heading home, I said, this felt like a career. We, a bunch of people, coalesced and unified our efforts on a mission. In order to get there, we took one step at a time, and we were all had a shared goal, get home to our families is that simple a framework. So I said, okay, if that's how we build careers, what are the tools? What's in the backpack that will allow us to get up that mountain? And I said, oh, okay, well, let me think about how I did it as a professional communicator. And out of that was a series of tactics. And each one of those tactics became a commandment. And what I found is as I was teaching and coaching people, all I was doing was taking this thing that I had done, which seemed abstract to me, and I put it into a template. And each commandment then became a chapter in the book. So if there were 10 techniques, and there are probably 100 techniques, but growing up the Catholic that I did, I grew up with a Bible. We all knew what the Ten Commandments was. It was something in my mind. It was a visual framework, 10 top 10 episodes, whatever. We all think in base 10. So I said, okay, let me just keep it at 10 commandments. So Carol, when I started teaching it, I said, all right, what's the first commandment? I was like, there's no particular order here. Well, duh. The first commandment is called the primacy recency effect. The observation that a listener, whether you're at dinner or whether you're on a stage, you're going to remember the first thing that someone says to you, You'll likely remember the last thing. You'll be a little bit fuzzy in the middle, but the one thing you will never forget is how they make you feel. Bam, that's a chapter. Okay, let's start with that. What else we got? And so through through just thinking through how I teach people, as I was doing that, it gave rise to at least a consciousness. All right, what happens after chapter one? Okay, chapter two, what we're really trying to do is to appeal to somebody's emotion. That's what we're doing. Forget the mind, forget the brain. There's plenty of smart people, but there's not enough people that have a heart when they're communicating. Cool. Chapter two, power of emotional appeal. All right, what's next? And so that's how I wrote the book is I thought about it and I laid down just on a piece of paper. And I remember one, two, three, all the way to 10. And when I got to 10, it's like, this is it. 
I'm not going to 11. There's not nine. There's 10. So Kara, thank you for, for the opportunity to introduce that to our listeners. But it really, a climb to the top is not just something, follow these 10 commandments. I wrote the book to be your mountain guide so that these are the tools you'll put in your backpack, but you're not going to do this alone. I'm going to be your guide. I'm going to help you. You're going to screw things up. You're going to be scared to death. That's all good because that's exactly what happens when you climb a mountain. They are freaking scary. You're cold. You're miserable. You're nauseous. Yet we do it again. Public speaking. You're cold. You're miserable. You're nauseous. <laughs> yes. You do it again. So th that's really, Kara, the, 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 the entire foundation of the book was to help people to understand the capacity of their personal change. And the one thing we have in common as human beings is we communicate. Now, so do bears and dogs and pandas. Um, animals communicate. In fact, they teach us a lot. When you see two dogs hug or two polar bears, a mother taking care of her cub, we learn from that and that became body language. That was a whole chapter unto itself. So these 10 commandments then are the framework and a climb to the top. Think of it as your toolkit, but also you put that in your backpack. They are no good to you until you get on that mountain. So when that 10 commandment toolkit is in your pack or in your mind, get on the stage. Don't be afraid to screw it up. No worries. Fall down, get up, fall down, get up. What happens when you fall down a mountain? You get up. That's a climb to the top. And so well said, thank you. <laughs> but you know, for me, it, I, I literally draw a parallel to life. And um, what is life? It is exactly that. It's up and down, up and down, but more than anything is telling your story. You know, well, I like, think you too, whether, whatever metaphor you have chosen, you too, Kara, have, and maybe it's not the mountain story, but you, you stated eloquently, you have gone through many ups and downs, even that date back to your childhood. And you have had multiple cultures, multiple language, you have had exposure and you've gained a toolkit as you have ascended through the twist and the turns, you recognize you, what you have really done is use that toolkit to help you overcome the obstacles that are in the way or the rain that comes that wasn't supposed to be there, the blizzard that happens that was unexpected. You have the same. It's just you, you, right. you just, you use a different metaphor, so to speak. But the most important thing is that I'm in, the, I'm on the field, right? I'm not, I'm not, not in the bleachers. I'm on the right. field. And I love that you said none of these tools really matter until you're out there doing the do's. Like you gotta be speaking, you gotta be putting yourself out there. And isn't that what we just said earlier before I started recording that our lives have been in the service of others and we can't stop it, you and I. Like I said, you know, I have two podcasts, a lot. Like, I mean, there's there's a way to play this life thing a little, uh, with a little less volume, right? But we, we turn it way up and, you know, this whole, you know, this podcast for me and for my, is, is to get to my, my listeners to see that, you know, your life is the story. Your life is the, 
is the mountain, right? And you can come out here and play full out and here are your tools and understanding that some of them you're building along the way, as you're going up and down, those tools are, are being built and you're figuring out how to, how to address issues. And again, because you're not doing the climb alone, right? You can borrow some tools. Like I've borrowed many, many tools from you and, and has, you know, that, which has propelled me. So and now look at the fact that you're playing out in the field and you're out there, you know, in the ring. I, 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 I tend to see you as the man in the arena, right? <laughs> like there's, you know, you know, the, you are the man in the arena. And I, so because yeah. you're out there now, different things can happen to take your idea, your book, for example, into something greater. So now we have the radio show and now you have, you know, all this. Yeah, the, 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 the pilot, like all these things that have basically grown and, and, you know, put more meat around what you just did. You, you started this just for your own sake, really. And then right. here we are. So can we talk about how the, the climb to the top has given birth really to like, you know, babies yep. <laughs> and continues to grow? Yeah, I, I certainly want to comment on. I'm happy to do it. I do want to comment on one other thing, Kara, and, I, and this is what I want. I'd like this message to get out to those in your audience who are either in college or maybe even in grad school. Part of why I said what I said is, Kara, you and I are both product of what are rather conventional educations. And that, that's not good or bad. You went to Adelphi, I went to Syracuse, you went to grad school, I went to grad law school, I went to grad school. And I teach in college, and, and it's important to me I do that because I, I was the product of an academic dad. But there's a real flaw in the educational system about defining what it means to be smart. And, and I think a lot of what I do was born out of the disappointment of my own education, and I'm grateful for it. I had a good one, but it wasn't real. It, 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 didn't, it didn't focus on communication, collaboration, adaptability, persuasion, creativity. It focused on cram, exam, regurgitate. When I was in my Catholic school in third grade and Mrs. Fitzpatrick was teaching me penmanship, I appreciated it because it, it, it helped me to do something rote. I did it well. And if I didn't do it well, I'd be yelled at. The reason I'm saying that is I think care for what you and I do is very much in the service of other people's professional development. And I think it's coming 15 years too late for most people. Because most are products to all of you listening, I'm not, I respect, and I'm on faculty at Columbia, and I'm so proud of it. I love that place. But my students come to my mountain conventionally educated, thinking that the individual with the best GPA is the one to the highest path to prosperity. You got to be kidding me. Yeah. Nothing could be farther from the truth. So I try to bring a sense of pragmatism that no matter what your theories are, how intelligent you are, whatever great thoughts you think, they are useless unless you're doing it in the service of others and you're doing it in the arena. To do it out of the arena and then to criticize the people who don't do it well in the arena, that is the biggest failing of education. So I just wanted to share that because I think that's that's something where you and I connect on, but I, I, I think it's, I don't want to say it's the big lie. I think it's a misguided sense of priorities that, that when people are finally startled to the reality of the way the world is, it didn't, they didn't have to wait that long. 
Right. Does that make sense? Oh, 1000%, 1000%, because, you know, um, I mean, I, I started breaking the mold from after I had my son and I started with the Mary Kay and all that, right. like going a completely unconventional way because, right. you know, what, what, I, what I realized very early on was, you know, I was making 50 grand in New York City as, a, as an executive assistant, Fast forward three years and a hundred and fifty some thousand dollars in debt. They were offering me forty seven. I was like, holy shit! Even in the dollars right now, I'm over. I'm regressing. So, and not that it's that it's it's not what happened to everyone, but really, you know, my I had a huge wake up call with that because I thought being educated in and having gone to law school was my ticket. You know, I'm done. I've done what I needed to do. It told me to go to school. I did it. Check, check. And I had a great GPA. I passed, you know, I, I graduated law school cum laude. I mean, right. you know, I did pretty all right. And yet um, it did not prepare me for life. And that's how with all this laptop lifestyle lawyer, I'm helping people realize that, look, you know, there's a different way to do it where you can um, absolutely you can, um, you know, go to school, get a great education and all of that. But then you got to use it in a way that really has you uh, manifest the best of yourself out there and create something that is worthy of you, a life worthy of you. Because if you're not doing that and you're not going out there in the arena, pushing yourself and seeing, then it's just, a, you know, you live kind of like flatline, right? Well, what, what, what you're describing, I think what we do, and I hope everybody does, is encouraging themselves to get into the arena and push past your own limits in spite of the social judgments, in spite of the fear of failure, try to drown them out. I, I'm just disappointed when people make this life decisions because everyone else has opinion, an opinion about what's right for you. What right. I tried to do in a climb to the top was give people the confidence to, to drown out the noise, forget the, the, the public scrutiny. Don't, and, and I know people have parents to worry about. They get crushed under the weight of parental expectations. But at some point, you got to get beyond that and you got to make your own decisions because you're the ones that have to live with it. Your parents are not going to live with your decisions. You are. So, so A Climb to the Top was written for the purpose to give people the tools, the confidence to be able to drown out that noise and to use it to climb the top. Now, back to your question. I think this is something, something I want to relate to anyone who is an aspiring author. When I wrote A Climb to the Top, this was my foray. It was my brand. It was my labor of love. I'm so glad I did it. But I thought about it as, oh, my God, I'm an author. I became an Amazon bestseller. Good for me. And then I just sort of said, okay, that's good. I guess I'll go back to teaching. I'll go back to coaching. And in retrospect, it's like, wow, I didn't think big enough. Like, what can I do with this brand? I, and it's not that I was thinking small. I wasn't. I just I didn't give it sufficient thought as toward what are the possibilities here. So A Climb to the Top is a book. About two years after the book came out, I got a phone call from a company that did a commercial video shoot for me at the book release. And they called and said, hey, we have an idea. We would like to turn your book into a potential docu-series. And his name, the, the name of the filmmaker is Dominic DiMaria. And he, I had worked with him before, loved him, loved him in his company. They had worked for me just beautifully. And, and he explained what he wanted to do. And I said, you want to, you want to turn a climb to the top into a docu-series? And he said, your book is instructional, motivational, and it's entertaining. Why don't we bring that to television? I said, all right. So we, we thought about this. Long story short, we, we, we created a pilot episode. And when I thought about we were going to bring one person into the pilot, 
that I was going to work together in the service of this pilot that we could show the world what, what is a way to help somebody transform through a climb to the top. That individual I met in Fort Lauderdale on a fateful day on a Saturday morning, her name is Kara Vival. And when I thought about who do we want in the pilot episode, I, I didn't even give it a second thought. I said, this is just a no brainer. Who do we want? Who is just, just loving in their way, kind and generous toward other people, wakes up in the service of other success. This is not even, this is not even anything to give any further thought to done. So we have a pilot episode that we are trying to sell into Hollywood and into the streaming services, Discovery Channel, and we have a company representing our interests. Third, what I didn't expect, a friend of mine, and this is another twist of fate, who, who, who was a radio host on a show on 77 WABC, New York's biggest station. I'd been on his show a couple of times. One day he said to me, Chuck, there is a particular Sunday in October. I cannot host it. Could you host it for me? And I paused. You want me to host your radio show? Uh-huh. And I said, I don't know a damn thing about being a radio host. And he said, uh-huh. That's exactly why I want you. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, what do you want me to do? I don't whatever you want. Who do you want me to be on the show? Whoever you want. So I go into the studio and I bring in a friend of mine, an investment banker. The, this, the, the show is called Mind Your Business. So I wanted the businessman, a buddy of mine, a very smart guy and a lovely guy. And the producers were in there. So who the hell, you know, like they knew who I was. I was like, what's the pilot episode that you did? Because I brought the filmmakers into the show. I figured, what the hell, Let, let's film it. Maybe it'll make it into the pilot. And we said the pilot episode is called It Climbed to the Top. And they sat there and I could hear the pause. I could, and I could see like the chipmunks in their brains, like, <laughs> like running. It's like, what is it? And explain to climb to the top stories of transformation, the mountain climbing metaphor. How quickly can you turn this into a radio show? I looked at Dominic and we just kind of gave a wink. How about in the next five seconds? Done. A week and a half later, we're in the studio creating a radio show called A Climb to the Top Stories of Transformation. We produced our fifth, first 54 shows on 77 WABC. Oh now we are into seven, our 77th show and we're on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, and something called the C-Suite Network. Uh, Kara Vaval will be on this show, but Kara and I have something <laughs> something special uh, on the pilot episode. I don't want to give that away quite yet because I just love what we have here, but we will. But what I want to say to, say to, say to our audience, Kara, if you, when you develop your brand, and this is just my own insight and experience as a name we give to our mistakes, whatever that brand is, don't limit the possibilities and think about each of the different mediums, print, radio, television, because in a way it's all bundled now. You can have distinct pieces, but what you're really talking about is the unification of your brand and that all of the pieces is better than any one of them. So a climb to the top then it represents all of these different mediums, but the common thread, Kara, the reason we do it, it just other ways of reaching people to help them climb their proverbial mountain. Oh my God, I dropped the mic. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're um, a part of it, so. <laughs> so uh, yeah, but you know, like I'm sitting here, literally, I always learn from you. You have I to appreciate know. that. Always, always get value. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, you know, I have my book and the brand. Okay, so how, how can I make this? How, can, how many people can I serve with this? And all of those different mediums are just ways to get in front of more people. Well, what, what, 
what what I've come to learn, Karen, I think it was my own education. I, you know, I grew up on a product. My my college was in the early '80s. I was just a product of someone who read stuff. I I don't care for social media. I think it's a colossal waste of time. I don't spend my time on Instagram and Facebook. I appreciate the power, and how the 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 Gen Z and millennials don't know what a life is like without them, but I do. And I find them distracting, but I also respect and appreciate the immense power they can have to help people like you and me. Right. The reach. So, but to think about, you know, you and I are quite healthy people. We're very conscious of the gym and running and, and we have to, we have to take care of our physical selves because if we don't, nobody else will. So any given day, if there's a trade-off between 45 minutes of being on a mountain, running, going to the gym, or or sitting on Facebook and, and Instagram, that's that's, that's <laughs> not even no brainer. Right, that's a no brainer. <laughs> but the the generation coming up, that's what they're doing, and and I, I I'm I'm thankful for their for their participation in our frequencies. I I I I I just I think it, there's an unhealthy component to that. And yeah, I think for sure. Can... And I think that it's very important that we teach, um, you know, creator versus consumer. And so that's how I approach it. Even with my kids, my kids are not really into social, but like Luke, for example, you know, my son, he's 12. And mm-hmm. I said, you know, you want to get on social, you got to be creating content. If mm-hmm. you're creating content and posting for the, you know, for people to consume you, I'm down with that. But if you're going to be there to consume, then we have a problem. So he does all these like wheelies with his bike. So he just keeps recording himself doing all of this stuff. And it's like the SC bike community. And like, he has this whole thing going on, but that's very important that you just keep putting creator versus consumer because yeah, it does. it, It helps us get to people, but also people have to understand that being in the arena is really where it's at. Right. And if everyone is in the arena, there's way more for everybody else to to consume and to and to grow from there is but there's a common thread that i want to get out here that is in the first page of my book that i want i I hope i hope that everybody can key in on this i knew when i climbed my career i I didn't do it alone i had a lot of help along the way and and i try to give it back but this is something you learn and, and it hit me on the mountain what you're doing when you're climbing the mountain and and carrie you live by this every minute of your day we we in our mind are doing something whether we know it or not we are living what's called the law of reciprocity and what that really means if you want success if you want good health if you want happiness that's not going to happen by accident you've got to give it to other people don't worry about what you're going to receive because the only way that you're going to receive the help to climb the mountain is being kind and generous to others because if one person you are generous to five people that's a 5x factor. That's a force multiplier. That means five people are looking out for you. And when you need that kind of fire, firepower on the mountain, the proverbial mountain or the physical mountain, think about the enormity of people that are going to come to your rescue. If you gave your kindness and generosity to one person and that person happened to be absent that day, you're falling off the cliff. But if you give that kindness to 50 people, think about the enormity and the scale of what you've given to the world. And Kara, I know that you you have that fateful thing that I do. You're going to get back what you're going to give. And in a world that to me, Kara, is sometimes disappointing because I see an enormity of self-absorption, people who are worried about themselves. And I get it. I understand the need to do your thing. 
but the people that we bring into our world understand the law of reciprocity and the power of your happiness and prosperity will come not just because of what you do, because of the deeds that you offer to other people that ultimately come back to you. Yeah. Yeah. 1000%. They should have taught me that in college. They should have taught me that in high school. A long time ago, because it's, it's just, you know, you continue to just, you know, put seeds in the ground. Right. You're going to reap. It's like no matter what. And those are the seeds that matter. Right. They're the Thank ones you. that'll give you the greatest harvest. And so absolutely do go to, you know, get an education, get a job, do all of that. Right. But who are you being? Right. Who are you being? Does the light turn on or off when you walk into the room? That's a big deal. That's a big deal. <laughs> you know? See, that, that, that's a that's a great benchmark question. What happens when you walk? And I teach that when I teach body language. What happens? How do you show up when right. you walk into that room in the first 250 milliseconds? People have their answer. Right. What? What? Exactly. Right. And you know, um, I, I think that, and you know, my my connection with the good Lord and how much I talk about God and all of that. Right. Um, I think that ultimately that is what we're here to do is to be an extension of this creative being, this source of light, this source of kindness, this source, because the example was there that that was the example of how to carry our lives. Right. And so, um, the more you can mirror that, the more, um, I think abundance, comes knocking at your door. I think the more opportunities knock at your door, the more um, love uh, knocks at your door. And um, what better way to carry out life than to uh, continue to show up that way and to to plant those seeds. And talking also about the fact, because at the beginning you said to, you told us your story and, you know, with, with being, um, you know, on uh, in Wall Street, and you talked about my belief in God, you know, I really truly believe that the reason why you, because you you skipped the part about what happened on 9-11. So I'm going to go back to that real quick, because that's very important, because the value that you have been putting into the world um, would not be in this world had you not been in this world. Right. I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> right. Because you've done cool. I'm with you. <laughs> You're with me. And so talk about life happening for you and what you use your life for. That kindness, that that putting, you know, in the service of others, helping people with tools, all of that. Talk about that day where you were supposed to be, because we just talked about everything you did, right? Which is amazing. You've been this guy, this amazing man in the arena. But you could have not been here putting all of this value out there, right? So if you don't mind me taking you back, because that's, I think, a great um, way to drive a point that I want to make on this podcast, which is that, you know, you are here for a reason and that there is purpose and um, and value and um, and, and tremendous, uh, tr- tremendous um, amount of gold that is up to you to excavate and put out into the world. So please talk about that if you don't mind. Yeah, I'm happy to do that. Um, just to put it into context, in, in 2002, I was, or 
9-11-2001, I was already a 13-year veteran of this organization called Bloomberg. And for the first seven years of, of the company, I was a head of, head of Latin American sales. I'm bilingual. My parents are Brazilian. So I spent years traveling south of the border. For the next six years, I was the public spokesman for the company, which means I traveled around the world on stage. That's where I really learned to climb to the top is what I developed through those years. On that fateful day on 9-11-01, I actually had received a call two months, two or three months before, asking me to speak at an event on what's called Windows of the World, which is the 110th floor of the World Trade Center, and that was going to be an industry event. And Chuck, could you speak at the event? I said, certainly. And originally, when and it was a two-day event, and I was scheduled to speak at three different slots. One of them, though, was at 9.30 in the morning on 9-11. And a buddy of mine named Scott had called me and said, Chuck, I cannot, he had three o'clock, I had the 9.30. And he said, Chuck, I can't speak at three. I have a conflict. I, I can speak at 9.30. Do you mind if we change? I said, no, it's okay with me. It just depends on the conference producer. And they changed it. Scott was in the building uh, at 9.30 because that was his speaking slot. I had not made it into the building. Anyway, I was scheduled to speak at three o'clock on 9-11 and at 11 o'clock the next morning on 9-12. On that fateful day, when the planes hit, what I knew, I was not in the World Trade Center yet, although as far as everyone at Bloomberg was concerned, I had marked in an internal calendar that I was at the World Trade Center. I hadn't gotten there yet. I was actually at another hotel with the speaking engagement. I just hadn't adjusted my calendar. What I knew, though, is based on the text, three of my colleagues, they were aged, two of them were 24, and one of them was 22. They were in the building. And we knew that because we had a text and we didn't know what else was going to happen. Now, at the time at, at nine in the morning, I was unaccounted for. People were looking for me. They weren't sure that I was in the World Trade Center. They didn't know where I was. So unbeknownst to me, when I finally made it back to the office at about 1130 that morning, there was a list of either dead or accounted for. I was, my name was on that list. And I had told my wife the night before that I was coming from the World Trade Center later in the afternoon. And I'll be, I may be a little late, but I'll let you know. As far as she was concerned, she had called into Bloomberg. I was unaccounted for. People did not know who I was. I was assumed dead. I wasn't. I was on my way. I actually walked back to the office. I couldn't get a cab. And when I showed up in the Bloomberg office, people said they started throwing their arms around me. I didn't know what was going on. I said, oh, my God, you're alive. Yes, I am. And then Mike Bloomberg shows up and he says, all right, who's going to call the parents of the three that we know are not alive? I took a pause and it was my responsibility. And I said, oh, that's, I'm here. That's my job. And Carrie, it was the hardest thing there. There, And I called two of the parents. Mike called another, so he knew them. And I called two of the parents. First, I had to compose myself. And I was like, oh, my God. And my, and my wife had called. My brothers had called. Everybody was checking in on everybody. The phones were down for two hours. So we were in this dark place where nobody knew where any was. But as far as people were concerned, I was no longer on the earth. I was in the World Trade Center. Well, I made the calls to two of the to, to two of the parents, and I'm a guy making a call to someone who didn't want to take the call, and I'm a parent myself. I cannot imagine the horror of somebody called me and told me my kid is dead or unaccounted mm -hmm. for. So I that day, I said, all right, 
I, 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 I have to do something. I don't know exactly what it is, but over the course of 16 funerals, memorial services, I spoke at many, I lit a lot of candles. I said, what can I do in the service of these, and not just my Bloomberg colleagues, I lost a lot of friends. How lucky am I to be alive? Why, why, why did I not speak at that 930 slot, which is what I was supposed to do? Why am I on this planet and, and 2,700 people are not? This makes no sense. So Kara, I use that as a tremendous moment or moments of self-reflection. And, and I thought about the best thing that I can do right now is to go do something I've never done before something that makes me uncomfortable and something that I can do to honor the spirit of the people that I had lost. And I grew up in a pretty winter wonderland. I learned how to ski and skate from the time I was a little kid. Mountaineering always appealed to me, but I was too busy, don't have the time, blah, blah, blah. I told myself all the reasons why. I was like, I don't know what what led me to the mountains, but on 9-11-02, exactly one year later and it was the hand of god i didn't schedule it that way i stepped on the summit of mount rainier in the cascade mountains and when you get to the summit there's a book and you register your name as getting credit for the summit i didn't put my name i put the names of my three lost colleagues in bloomberg and as i headed down the mountain i didn't know exactly what any of this meant but I needed to get away from all of that to reflect on what can I do given that I'm still here and what can I put to the world in the service of all these things that we have lost, but most important, what did I learn about myself and what perspective did I gain that can help me to be a better human being? So a year later, I step on the summit of a mountain and what I didn't know carried it unleashed the beast. I said, oh my God, a year later, I'm in Kilimanjaro. A year later, I'm climbing the Matterhorn. The mountaineer in me is born, but... That was only a mechanism and a pathway to the executive coach is born. The college professor is born. The author is born. The radio host, the TV. I did a complete reflection as I guided my own transition and transformation. The one thing that was certain, whatever I decided to do was going to be in the service of others. And I'm not religious, so I wasn't going to become a priest, but I am (laughs) religious because I am doing this in the service. That's my religion. I, I am committed. And what I hope is that people don't wait for 9-11 moments. And what you often talk about, Kara, in, in our, as we were working together and producing our pilot episode, you talked about what do you do with your past? There are times you'll have to kill it. There are times you'll have to dismiss it, but it's always in the past. You're here right now. And often what you described, whether you knew it or not, you were describing life is in the transitions, that every time moments happen to us, it's not a burden, but an opportunity to determine what's the next path. And if the path isn't carved out, for God's sakes, make it yourself. So that's my story yeah. and I am honored that you are a part of it. And, and oh my God. And, you and so I want to tell it to the I. world. And so am I. And, you know, um, you, I was thinking 
okay, when he's done, I'm going to say, you got to make sure that you don't wait till your mountains come, you know, or a 9-11 moment. And you said it so beautifully because ultimately we're all here on that same borrowed time, right? Mm -hmm. I call it 28,000 days, you know. It's your book. Right. We are here on borrowed time. This is not a dress rehearsal. I say all the time we are live. And if you don't use your life for something greater than yourself, for something that really has purpose in it, then, you you know, it's kind of like a dead life. And, you know, there is so much purpose and pain um, I think I found a lot of my purpose in my pain. I found a lot of my direction in my pain. And that's where you went. You went to your pain to draw out what it was that you could do next. And what I loved about what you what you said, you know, when you said, you know, then the professor was born in this, we are all these super multifaceted beings and we tend to settle into one thing or another. There's so much dimension to you and look at all of the different facets of Chuck that have been born out of a 9-11 moment. And so let that be your inspiration to um, really start digging into the different facets of yourself. Well, to your your point, Kara, there there was a sense of commitment as toward if I'm going to born, bear each of these, there's one thing they all have in common. I want to do something I've never done before. Never wrote a book, never climbed a mountain, never, you know, never, even if I suck, I didn't want to go back to that other thing that I used to do. That daily grind was wonderful for what it was, but I had the luxury of not having to do it. So the question is, what do I want to do? I don't want to do the same old routine. I want to do what I've never done before. And And I put my bottom dollar that you are more alive than you've ever been. Oh my goodness. Uh, Yeah. You, you, you can't, you can't kick me down, but, but what, what I think Kara to put this into perspective for our listeners and for what you and I do, not everybody's going to have a a tragic nine 11 moment or when you lost your grandma, you lost your dad, you had tragic events. There are a lot of people out there that don't, that doesn't mean that there's not pain. We, you and me, then, if they don't have a 9-11 or their dad is murdered, is there a catalyst? Well, sure. We, that, that we can become the catalyst. You don't have to wait for that moment of tragedy, but we are there to help them guide that life in the transitions, to help them reflect where they are, where do you want to be, how are you going to get there, knowing the one thing that you and I are going to work on is the removal of the fear and the uncertainty that prevails, that scares the hell out of people. Well, what's the worst thing that's going to happen if you take that step? All right. So you're going to die anyways, right? (laughs) That's kind of like my whole thing is like, but you're going to die. So why not play full out while you're here? You know, I'm not dying with my music unplayed. I don't care how many times I embarrass myself or how many times, you know, I fail or I get it wrong. Um, It's so worth getting it wrong to get it right and experience what getting it right feels like. And then experiencing the the, the aliveness of also getting it wrong, right? Like you, there's so much, there's so much life in stepping on the other side of fear. I really encourage everyone who's listening to just take us up on it. Like, you know, because 
that's what you've done because of, you know, you just, you just kind of cast fear to the side because you realize that it was just an inhibitor or, you know, a, a, a you know, it was just going to be something that was, that it, it wasn't worth really giving into because you realize that life got so, it's fragile. You can be here one second, you're gone the next. Okay. What am I going to do? Am I going to stay stuck here? No, I'm going to live full out. Whoever you are and listen, go ahead. I, I want to offer one other thing, and this is a recommendation to our listeners that had a big impact on me. And I, I'm a movie guy, love the movies. You know, I've certainly read zillions of books, but there was one movie that had an impact on me that is always in my head. And I want everyone to think about the words I'm about to say. And I, I'm going to quote this. I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. And what I'm talking about is a movie called Invictus that Clint Eastwood made starring Morgan Freeman as the great, my hero, Nelson Mandela. And Mandela, after 27 years of prison, got out of Robben Island, became the president. You know, one thing led to another. And everyone thought Mandela was like, oh, my God, he's going to kill us all. And why wouldn't he? Mandela stood on a platform of compassion, forgiveness and reconciliation in a world where no one expected that. And what he talked about is for the 27 years in Robben Island, every morning he would recite a poem written in 1874 by William Ernest Henley called Invictus, which is Latin for unconquerable. And the poem itself, it can be recited in about 45 seconds and it appears in the movie. But, but what, what the last stanza is, it matters not how straight the gate, how charged the punishments, the scroll I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. Oh. <laughs> and in Mandela, what he talked about is every day, these are the words that he sought for inspiration when all, and it helped him to stand up when all he wanted to do was to lie down. Kara, every mountain I climbed when I was at 15,000 feet, 16,000, and I had no breath left in me, in my head, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. Watching Morgan Freeman play Nelson Mandela had more effect on me as to the mindset that I developed to never give up and also Winston Churchill, I'm a fan of him too, to never surrender, to fight on the beaches, to fight on the land, to fight in the air. We're going to fight. We will never give in. And I think what you and I bring up, what you and I bring together, what I hope we bring to our listeners and to the world, these are not just words, catchy phrases and aphorisms. This is how we live, but we live by example. And we teach other people that this isn't just something that you say and do and hope for the best. You got to get beat up and bloodied and bruised. And you could just hang out, watch TV, watch Netflix for the next 40 years and never be uncomfortable. But why would you do that? Yeah. Oh, my God. So well said. Chuck, <laughs> we could do this for another hour. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm sensitive to your time, but I want to be this sure we've gotten to everything. This so amazing. I think I, I, want, I know my listeners are going to give us all types of comments. I'm going to have to bring you back. But if anyone wants to find you, where can they go look you up if they are looking for your services, your coaching, your book? Tell us where we can find you. The best place to go is my website. It's called chuckgarcia.com. So if you remember my name, you can remember .com. When you go to chuckgarcia.com, there's a contact tab. Also, you can find us. A climb to the, there's two things to think about, Chuck Garcia and a climb to the top. 
You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. You either use Chuck Garcia or a climb to the top. You're going to find me. But the important part is I thank all of the listeners for, for whatever you can do to make a difference in someone else's life. That's what I want your takeaway to be. Don't worry about you. You're fine. Go find five people and find out what they do when you deliver something unexpected. Cup of coffee, back rub, shoe shine. <laughs> Just give them something that they didn't expect. That's what I want them to do. Something simple. Done and done. Thank you so much, Chuck. This was Thank amazing. It was Until just next time. Absolute, Thank you. It was an honor and a pleasure. Thank you for having me. You were just listening to the Unfiltered with Cara podcast. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button to receive new episode notifications. Also, if you found value in this content, please take a moment to like, comment, and share it with those you love. Until next time, much love and light to you and yours.